Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series on the life of David. This morning, Joseph's brothers will stand before the man on the throne. And the title of the message this morning is, Be Sure Your Sin Will Find You Out. All right, Genesis 41. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand. And in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Bible, we're going to read two verses, pray and sit back down. The first, word, the first verse we're going to read is Genesis 41 and verse number 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. Now skip over to the next chapter. Chapter 42, verse 3. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. The title of the message this morning is Be Sure Your Sin Will Find You Out. Be Sure Your Sin Will Find You Out. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to put everything aside today and I want to clear our, our, my mind and my heart. And I want to focus on what the Word of God has to tell us today. Lord, I pray that you bless the message, Lord, not but because of you. Lord, I pray that you speak to us through your Word this morning. Let us feel the power and presence of God in this place today. Be with our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I can work, and I can work, and I can work, and really not think about stopping eating lunch. If I'm busy, I'm not thinking about eating. I'm thinking about, you know, what, you know, what can I do? What's next? I got people, we've been really busy at the shop, and we've had the, the, the bays full. We've had cars lined up to Delaware. And, you know, when I'm really busy, and I'm working, and I'm getting stuff done, I'm really not thinking about food too much. I could work right through lunch, and it not even phase me. But if you know anything about where my shop is located on Delaware Avenue in Macomb, right up the hill is this little place called Waffle House. And sometimes they're busy. And man, they're cooking up a storm, and that scent is just getting, getting pumped out of the vents, and all of a sudden I catch a whiff. That smells like scattered, covered, smothered hash browns right there. Maybe they ordered them extra crispy, just like I like them. And, you know, I get to smelling, that, I get to smelling those hash browns from Waffle House. And, uh, man, that'll get me hungry. Then I'm thinking about food. And if it's not that, the hotel behind us, they have these workers come in, uh, these overnight workers. Some of, them are elect- some of them work on the power lines. Sometimes they work on, uh, on uh, uh, onshore drilling work. They stay in that hotel. And what these guys will do is they'll go buy these little charcoal grills. Now, look, a gas grill is good to cook on. But, man, what, what smells good is the charcoal. I mean, just the smell of the charcoal will make you hungry. Now, look, these guys, you know, they don't work for peanuts. They make pretty good money. So they don't, they don't cook hamburgers. They don't cook hot dogs. They cook in steaks. 
They're cooking ribeyes. They're cooking T-bones. And man, you just smell that stuff. And I tell you what, when I get a whiff of food, when I wasn't thinking about food, now I'm thinking about food. Now I look at the clock and see what time it is. And now I'm, uh, when before I wasn't thinking about my energy level, when I'm reminded that I haven't eaten, oh, now I'm so weak. Oh, I just feel so weak, and I'm feeling myself getting weaker and weaker because I haven't ate. And, you know, uh, maybe I have to go get me a pack of nabs or a can of some Vienna sausages or something just, just to get me through until I can go and, and, and get me some food. And I wasn't thinking about food, but then I'm reminded of it. And when I'm reminded of it, I, re I realize how hungry I really am. You see, the thing is, no man seeks to be filled until they're aware of their hunger. No man seeks to be filled until they're aware of their hunger. Many people don't seek a Savior until they realize their need for a Savior. Okay? Uh, you know, and, and, and the deeper the hunger, the more diligently man seeks to satisfy that hunger. There are 13 recorded famines in the Bible. 14 recorded famines. And what these famines are doing is they're not only showing people their need for physical sustenance, they're showing people their need for spiritual food. And God always has a purpose behind what he does. And, and so that's what's going on. And, and so what God wants to do because of a famine is bring about a spiritual feast. And that's his purpose behind it. In Egypt, if the Nile River failed, Egypt failed. They lived and died by the Nile, by the Nile River. They worshipped the Nile River as a god. That's why one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the things Moses did was turn the Nile River into blood, showing them he killed their god. But the Nile River, if, if the Nile River failed, then Egypt failed. They, they, they lived and died by this river. And then and when, the, when the floods were up and the floodwaters came in and it watered the crops and it made the land rich and, 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 nutri and gave it nutrients and gave it water and, and gave it all the things that it needed. And, and man, we had had seven, uh, seven years of plenty. And during this time, the floodwaters of the Nile rose and they were harvesting grain and they were harvesting fruits and man they were they were filling up their barns and man things were going good even when Joseph in when Joseph levied a 20% tax on all their grain they said okay whatever you say Joseph what's 20% when we have so much and year after year after year, the Nile rivers rose and the flood waters came in and watered their crops and they harvested their grain and there was plenty. But one year, flood waters didn't come. The flood waters didn't come. And the next year, they said, oh, well, maybe it'll, we had a rough year this year, maybe it'll do better next year. And the next year, the flood waters didn't come. And then they didn't come. And then they didn't come. And the years of famine had started in the land of Egypt. The Nile had failed to rise. That life-giving water that they depended so much on was very, very absent. 
in the previous seven years with all the abundance of harvest, with all the abundance of grain, was gone. And could you imagine the guy that had to give the report on how high the, the, the floodwaters of the Nile came? And every year he'd have to give a bad report and a bad report. And he had nothing but bad news. He must have worked for CNN. And so, you know, just, oh, just that week after year after year, he just gives these bad reports at one after the other. And he's sorry, guys, it's going to be another year of famine. So when God sends famine, it's not only to show a physical need, it's to show a spiritual need. This morning, I've structured my sermon into two sections. This first section this morning, we're going to call denial and deception. Denial and deception. I'd like for you to look at your Bibles at Genesis 42. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. We're going to read down a few verses. Genesis 42 and verse number 7. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are, we are all one man's sons. Look at this. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. True men? They call themselves true men? That reminds me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they said, who's going to work on the ark? And they said, top men. But who's going to? Top men. But here it says true men. They're calling themselves true men? Are you serious? Do they know what they've done? Have they forgotten all the things that they've done? Man, you know, they, here's the thing. They stand before a man that knows better. They stand before man when they call themselves true men. The guy is sitting on this throne, he knows better than that. They can stand there all, all day long and they can say, man, we've done nothing good. Hey, yeah, we're good guys. We're good folks. I mean, all things considered, I think I'm a good guy. Hey, I'm just out here trying to provide for my family. I'm looking after my ailing father back at home. I'm just a good old boy. I'm a good guy. I never hurt anybody. I think I'm not that bad. We're just thinking that, you know, we're just trying to provide for our families. And they're there saying these things thinking no one knows about their sin but there's a man who sits on the throne that knows about their sin there's a man that sits on the throne that knows about all the people they have killed there is a man that sits on the throne that knows all of the lives they've ruined there's a man that sits on the throne that knows about all the bad reports that went to their father you know what also there's also a man that sits on the throne that knows what these guys have done to him the man that sits on the throne can look at these guys and say hey you've hurt me you've injured me I was there I remember Remember when you did it. I remember when you sold, you know, uh, sold me into slavery, and I, and I remember all these things. 
the man that sits on the throne knows better. He knows better. How many people one day will stand before the throne of God and they'll say, you know what? I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good guy. Hey, I volunteered at the soup kitchen on New Year's Eve. Hey, you know, I, I provided for my family. I sacrificed for my family. I worked overtime so I could provide for my wife and my kids. I did all those things when nobody else would. When, when, when other dads were being deadbeat dads and other dads wouldn't be there for their families, I was there. I was working. I was working overtime to provide for my family. When my parents got sick, I was, I was there to take care of them. Other kids might have put their their parents in a in an old folks home but not me I was there I provided for my ailing parents I was there I watched after them I'm a pretty good guy I'm a pretty good gal but there's a man that sits on the throne that says I know what you have done you can't fool me and he will look at them and to some he will say Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But Joseph's brothers, they never batted an eye. Oh, yeah, without hesitation. Oh, yeah, we're good guys. We're true guys. We're true men. What they're doing is denying their sins. And they're attempting to deceive the prime minister of Egypt. And, you know, maybe they really did believe that. Maybe they really did believe that they, that they weren't that bad. You know, we are very quick to pronounce how good we are. We're very quick to that. Proverbs 20 and verse 6, Most men will, will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You see what they were missing? See what they were missing? They were all ready to say, oh, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good guy. We're true men. But, you know, if you really were a true man, you, re you really wouldn't have to tell anybody. What Joseph's brothers now needed was an opportunity to face who they really were instead of who they thought themselves to be. It was time for them to come to that point. They, broke, they boldly uh, proclaimed that they were true men, yet nothing could be further from the truth. You know, there's a rich man, Matthew. And you know, when I read the story of the rich man, it reminds me a lot of what Joseph did. And for, uh, you know, when I first read it, when I was a kid, I'd read the story in Matthew and I'd think about what Joseph did and think, well, what's the difference here? What's the difference between what this guy, rich man, and Matthew did and over here, what Joseph did? Because Joseph was filling, he was filling barns with food. This guy over here, this rich man over in Matthew, he was filling barns with food too. What's the difference? Let's read the account in the Word of God. Matthew 12, 17 and 20 says, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? 
And he said, this I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know, this guy is... He's putting up food in the barns. Joseph did that. He was putting up food in the barns. What's the difference? Well, I'll tell you what the difference is. I'm glad you asked. Now, this rich man, you might look at this rich man and think, man, this is a prudent businessman. Man, this is the guy. He knows business. He knows how to make money. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working hard and being smart and making money and capitalism and, and, and turning a profit. That's not, a, that's not against the word of God to turn a profit. And so, you know, people would look at this guy and think, man, this guy's, this guy's a pretty good businessman. He may even get a special on the biography channel. He, they might even give it a rags to riches story. And, you know, they, everybody would like this guy there's nothing wrong with what he's doing we can tell from the scripture he thought a great deal about himself and it's very well that everybody around him looked up to this rich man and everybody else thought a great deal of him except God God didn't think a great deal of him the Bible for all of eternity calls this rich man a fool for all of eternity, this rich man will be known as a fool. Why? Because it's not only sin to put material possessions so high in your life. It's also very stupid. It's also very stupid. This guy, in the span of three verses, said I six times. I, 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 I. I, and in addition to that, he said, my, 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 everything was about him. Man, he said, he sp spoke of my fruits and my barns and my goods and my soul. Everything was about him and nothing was about God. He was very foolish and he was deceiving himself. He was deceiving himself. In the end, it was proved that he didn't have any fruits he didn't have any goods. He didn't have any barns. And his soul was dead. By the world standards, this businessman was a very prudent rich man. And you know, by, by, by the world standards, you would say that Joseph's brothers were very, considered themselves to be very successful and considered themselves to be true men. But there's a man on the throne that knows better. There's a man on the throne that knows better. You know, it was the church at Laodicea that said, I am rich and increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the church at Laodicea, they looked at their spiritual condition and they said, oh, I'm rich. And then they looked again at their spiritual condition and they said, oh, I'm increased with goods. Then a third time they looked at their spiritual condition. They looked at themselves and they said, oh, you know what? Uh, you know, we have, we have need of nothing. We don't need anything. We're good. 
And you know, they were opposite of the blessed are the poor in spirit that, Joseph, that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5, 3. We live in a society that says if you say it loud enough and proud enough, you'll get it. All you got to do is, is say it loud enough and you'll, and you'll get it. You ever heard of this name it and claim it? Really, it should be called blab it and grab it. And, uh, you know, they, they, you, they, this name it and claim it type of thing. And, you know, it's these, these, these televangelists and these faith healers and these mega churches and these charismatics. They prefer word of faith and they prefer pr prosperity gospel. And they think if they say it loud enough, it will be true. It is lies and deception because it's centered around me. I, me, what can I get? My goods, my car, my house, my bills paid. Me, 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 what can the church do for me? Don't dare go into a church and say, what can I do for a church? Go into a church and say, what can the church do for me? I'm not going to that church anymore because they don't call me. They don't do anything for me. They don't ever mention my name. I'm there just for me. I'm there just to get attention for me when that's not the point at all you come to church to see what you can do for the church you come to church to see for what you can do for God you come to church to see what you can do for your fellow brother and sister in Christ don't come to the house of God and say I, 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 me, me, me don't do that don't fall into that trap my home, my goods my money, my bills, my car. It's not about you. It's about him. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But Brother Brett, I'm not that bad. But there's a man on the throne who knows better. Second section of the message this morning is going to be called remembering and remorse. Remembering and remorse. You see, Joseph's ten brothers had been living, they thought, successfully denying their past. And when it came time for them to remember, Joseph found a very subtle way to bring their sin back up to the surface and to acknowledge their past without allowing them to rewrite history. We love to do that. We love to rewrite history, don't it? Don't we? We love to do that, especially when it comes to our past, uh, our past shortcomings. They began with a simple acknowledgement of Joseph in uh, Genesis 42:13. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day without our father. Oh, and just four quick little words, and one is not. And one is not. Just a little quick, little quick. We don't like to talk about him. We don't like to mention his name. And one is not. Just real quick, in passing, one is not. Just a little subtle reminder of the brother that they try to forget and they don't want to exist. When I was at camp as a teenager, 
we had this pool. And there was a diving board out there on the pool. And I was the king of the cannonball contest. I had E equals MC squared, okay? A lot of mass, going fast, destruction. And so, you know, uh, so I would get out here on this diving board, and one of the things we like to do is we would take this basketball, okay? We would take this basketball, fully inflated basketball, and we would get out on the diving board, and we would jump as high as we can and dive into the pool with this basketball in our hands. Now, what was our goal? Our goal was twofold. We wanted to see how deep we could go with the basketball and how long we could keep the basketball underwater before it started coming back up because we knew when we let go of the basketball in that pool, it was going to just shoot real high up in the air. And we were 15 years old and we wanted to see that. And uh, so what we would do was we would jump off the diving board with this basketball and go into the pool and just keep it down there just as long as we possibly could. And then we could hold it down there for a good little while, but eventually you know what would happen? Eventually what would happen is the basketball is coming to the surface. No matter how bad we wanted it, no matter how bad we really, we, we really, really wanted to keep it down there, we couldn't. Why? Because the basketball wanted to come to the surface. And you know what? You know what that reminds me of? Our sin that we try to bury. Our sin that we try to hide. Our sin that we try to sweep under the rug. That's what it reminds me of. And what we do is we take our sin and we push it down and we cover it up and we try to forget about it and we try to ignore it and we try to go about our normal day. But the thing is, is the Holy Spirit has a way of reminding you. You'll be going through your day and you'll, you'll see some reference to the scripture verse. You'll be riding down the road. You'll see a bumper sticker on a car. You'll hear a line in a song that's being sung. A child will ask a question or say a passing word. You'll hear a little rabbit trail in the sermon. A word on the radio. And what is happening is the Holy Spirit is calling that thing back to remembrance to you. Because it's left undone because it's still going on you're still living in that sin you fought so hard to keep it buried but it's come to the surface because God says you can't keep this buried you got to deal with it you got to deal with it you can't keep it buried forever and God says if you don't deal with it I will deal with it and I'll show you that later Okay, but, you know, that's what happens. But Joseph had no intention of allowing this self-proclaimed innocence to stand. And so he begins to deepen the weight of conviction on them. And he looks at them and he calls them spies and he puts them in prison for three days. Pick, up, pick back up with me in Genesis 42 and verse number 17. And he put them all together in ward three days. And Joseph said to them on the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men. 
And I guarantee you Joseph said that with as much sarcasm as he could lather on. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall <coughs> your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is the distress come upon us. And Reuben answered, saying, I Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them, by an interpreter. They had no idea that Joseph was standing before them and Joseph could hear every single word that they are saying. You know, one thing that I try to do, and this doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but one thing I try to do is I try not to say something about someone behind their back that I would not say to their face. Because I have said something about somebody that I shouldn't have, and they were standing around the corner. This was 20 years ago, but it taught me a valuable lesson, okay? I try not to say anything behind somebody's back that I wouldn't say to their face because they might be standing around the corner. That was free. The rest of this will cost you. And so, um, so three very powerful things that's being, that forces our work in the lives of Joseph and his brethren. Three things. That's conscience, memory, and reason. Conscious memory and reason. They said, we are very guilty concerning our brother. John Phillips said this, Conscience, memory, and reason. God's three great hounds to bark and bay at the door of the soul. The pointing, fi the pointing finger was doing its work. They were still blind as to who Joseph really was. But they were now thoroughly awakened to their appalling guilt concerning him. They would now mention his name, at least among themselves, and admit what they had done. These three things are following Joseph's brothers. And until they were willing to deal with their sin, these three things, just like hounds, would nip at their heels until they dealt with it. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Christian, Christian, what sin this morning are you trying to keep beneath the surface? What sin are you hiding that you don't want anybody to know about? You don't even want to think about it. You want to commit the sin, then sweep it under the rug, pretend like you didn't, and go on about your day. What sin like that do you have in your life? that needs to be dealt with. This phrase where it says, be sure your sin will find you out, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that your sin will always be revealed, but it does mean your, mean your sin will always find you. Your sin will always find you. The Bible tells us that Joseph yearned after his brothers. He wanted to tell them so bad. He wanted to reveal it to them so bad who he was but he knew better. He knew they weren't ready to receive it. They weren't ready to see him in his splendor. They weren't ready to see him in his glory because there was a work to be done. See, their conscience was just now waking up. 
You ever sit funny on a chair and your leg falls asleep and it's just like dead and numb? And like you could, it's so numb you could stab it and you wouldn't feel it because it's, it's numb, okay? But then you get up and as you start to, you, you hop around because you can't put any weight on it. And, but then it, it starts to wake up and it just feels like pins and needles are just all over your leg and it's waking up and it's coming too and you you still in it gets to where you can put a little weight on it but it's not fully awake yet that was Joseph's brother's conscience before they met Joseph their conscience was absolutely numb but now it's starting to wake up now the pins and needles they're feeling the pins and needles in that leg but it's not done yet it's not done yet. They still, it's not fully awake yet. You know what they're feeling at this point? They're feeling remorse. But they're not to repentance yet. They're feeling remorse. But they're not to repentance yet. But they're getting there. It's getting there. Just because you have remorse for your sin does not mean you have repentance. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can feel sorry, you can feel guilty, you can have remorse all day long. Remorse is not the same as repentance. This was remorse. I feel really bad about that. This is repentance. That's repentance. 180 degree turn away. You can have remorse all day long, but remorse is not the same as repentance now Joseph kept Simeon in prison why Simeon because the man on the throne knows did you know when Joseph was giving the blessings to his sons at the end of his life he looked at Simeon and Jacob said that Simeon is an instrument of cruelty do you know that so that's one of the reasons why he kept Simeon locked up in prison some of us uh, we get a little extra attention because we're a little stubborn. We get a little extra attention more than everybody else. We have to spend a little bit more time in the clink than most people because uh, we're a little bit more stubborn than most people. And this was Simeon. Joseph knew, the man on the throne knew that Simeon needed a little bit more humility than everybody else. And that's why he was kept in prison. Joseph knew that he would need special discipline. So what he did is he kept him back in prison and sent the other brothers to the father with bread. Next, Joseph would give them what they craved, but then they would come to detest it. Genesis 42, 26. And they laded their asses with corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the end, he espied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God hath done unto us? Their past is burning in their minds. And now the hand of God connects with their past guilt. Now they would know what it was like to commit no crime but be falsely accused. Man, that sounds familiar. I wonder who else experienced that. 
I think Joseph knows what that's like. To be falsely accused when you've committed no crime. Don't you think Joseph knows what that feels like? But you know what? That still sounds familiar. I think if I read from Genesis up to the book of Isaiah, I'd get to Isaiah 53 and I said, you know what, that does sound familiar. Because I think there was somebody else who committed no crime, but was also falsely accused. And I think that that was my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So finally they got back to Jacob and in Genesis 42, 36, he finally groans. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not and Simeon is not. And will ye take Benjamin away from me? All these things are against me. And you know, Jacob, you know, he said all these things are against him. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is working these things out for his good. God can see what's on the other hill and we can't. And sometimes when we feel like God is against us, the truth is, is God is for us and he's bringing us through things for a reason and he's doing it for our good. Now, in verse number 37, Reuben makes a very empty, empty offer. And Reuben says, oh, if you don't, if I, we don't bring Benjamin back when we go, you can have two of my sons. It's a very empty offer that really doesn't mean anything. But then Judah steps up. Turn over to 43, verse 8. Chapter 43, verse 8. The offer that Reuben made was very empty and didn't mean a whole lot, but Judah made an offer that really did mean something. Genesis 43, 8. And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and our little ones. I will be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require of him, if I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, and let, him bear the bl and let me bear the blame forever. Judah, one of the brothers who would, who would lie to their father, who would lie to their father, uh, uh, the callousness about the loss of his son. Now he had come to the place where he will give his life for one of his brothers. Do you see the change? Do you see the change? He went from lying to his father about, about selling one of his brothers, breaking his heart, and now he has come to the place where he says, I will give my life for my brother. Can you see the change in his life? Do you think the man on the throne knows what he's doing? I think he does. I think he does. A great progress is happening in the lives of Joseph's brothers. They are leaving remorse behind and coming to the place of true repentance. Repentance is a turning away. Now they could bring Benjamin and present him to Joseph. Now, would they sacrifice Benjamin like they sacrificed Joseph? Had they really changed? If they really changed, they were ready for the next step. What's the next step after that? Confrontation and confession. Confrontation and confession. That is the next step. See, Joseph is working very hard to show them. He, Joseph knew when they stood before him and said that they were true men and good men, Joseph knew that was a lie. So what was Joseph trying to do? Trying to point out the lawlessness in their hearts. 
while at the same time showing him the love that's in his. And our guy that sits on the throne is doing the same thing. Show us the lawlessness in our hearts while at the same time showing us the love in his. And that's why they were going through this, not because Joseph hated them, because Joseph loved them. Joseph loved them. Some have suggested that Joseph was cruel because of this. So Joseph was cruel. He should have revealed himself immediately upon their arrival. But you see, Joseph had a greater purpose. Joseph wanted more than just a reunion. He wanted restoration. Do you want restoration today? There was a point in your Christian life when you woke up and you just felt the presence of God. There was a point in your Christian life when you prayed and you felt the presence of God. There was a point in your Christian life when you loved the house of God and you loved the word of God. There was a point in your Christian life when you were in the ministry and you were serving God and you felt God's presence and then you let sin get in there and now you're not back where you were. Maybe you need restoration. What's the key to that? Repentance. What is repentance? It's a 180 degree turn. You can feel sorry for your sin all day long, but if you don't turn away from that sin, you haven't repented. You haven't repented. Yes, salvation is repentance, but you know, once you get saved and you become a child of God, you should repent every day for the rest of your life. Repentance is not something I just do at salvation. Repent is something that a Christian does every day of their life because we were born sinners, we are sinners, and we should repent every day. And feeling bad and guilty about it is not the same as repentance. God in his power, he could remove the famine from your life. God, right now, if he wanted to, could remove the famine in your life. He could make the Nile waters rise again, but he hasn't. Why? Because he knows you're not ready for it. Because he knows that he has a plan. He has something that he's working. He's working. He wants to be more than just your supplier. He wants to be your savior. He wants more than just remorse. He's looking for repentance. We often say that reputation is what others think us to be, but character is what God knows us to be. What are you like when nobody's around? What are you like? What does God know about you that is not seen about anybody else? Did you know that before he judges you, he gives you an opportunity to judge yourself? That's what Joseph was doing was given his brothers an opportunity to judge themselves, but they passed on it, so he had to judge them. God gives me and you an opportunity to judge ourselves before he judges us. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Hmm. But, if, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Man, if I condemn myself, if I repent from my sin, if I confess my sin, if I acknowledge my sin, if I acknowledge my wrongdoing, if I mourn over my sin, if I repent from it, I won't be judged of God. But if I don't, guess what? He's going to judge me. Have you ever looked at your kids 
and said, let me get this right. If you ever looked at your kids and said, if you tell me who did it, it won't be that bad. But if you lie to me, or if you don't say anything, I'm going to whoop the both of you. Have you ever said that? I know I have. I know I've said that. Man, sometimes it's better to come clean and tell the truth. Like I said, Job's brothers had an opportunity to come clean. They passed on it. They didn't judge themselves, so the man sitting on the throne had to judge them. He had to take steps to uncover their sin. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. There was a judge in Boston. His name was Horace Gray. Horace Gray had been appointed to the Supreme Court. Right before Horace Gray went to the Supreme Court, one of his last cases when he was just a bench judge, he, a man stood before him guilty. The judge knew he was guilty. Everybody knew he was guilty, but the case got thrown out because of a technicality. Horace Gray, before he dismissed the case, he looked at the man and he said these words. He said, I know you're guilty. You know you're guilty. And you know that you're being let go today just because of a technicality. But I want to remind you, sir, one day you're going to stand before a judge that is better and wiser than me. And he will not judge you according to the law. He will judge you according to justice. Human law has errors in it. But God's law doesn't. God's justice is true. It has no errors in it. And though punishment is sometimes delayed, as God grants room to repent, it is certain. And you will not escape the judgment of God on a technicality. Be sure this morning, Christian, your sin will find you out. So what's the point of the message today? In a second, we're going to have an invitation and we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and this altar will be open to you. Is there sin in your life? Sin that is keeping you from restoring the relationship that you've once had with God. Sin that you're sweeping under the rug and you're trying to keep it hidden and you're trying to keep it away from everybody and you don't want to think about it in your past maybe it's something in your present but it's a sin that you're dealing with a sin that is keeping you from being on par for where God wants you to be in your life and God constantly reminds you about it he keeps coming to the surface isn't that amazing how you keep trying to forget about your sin but the Holy Spirit finds ways to remind us about it today's the day to confront it and confess it to God. If you judge yourself, he won't judge you. But you have to mourn. And you have to repent. And you have to turn away. And feeling guilty isn't good enough. Maybe we need to do business with God this morning.